0: Hey everyone, how's it going? This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Cazenza and we are happy to have you with us, joining us live, if you are here Wednesday night, uh, when we usually record. Not so much the result that uh, Bengals fans wanted this week against the Carolina Panthers. We'll talk about that, um, you know, after a great start at 2-0 and then all of a sudden they uh, kind of hit a little bit of a buzzsaw down south and uh fall to 2 and 1 but they are looking to rebound this week against the Atlanta Falcons and uh that doesn't seem like a very easy task either before we get to our special guest I'm joined by my co-host John Sheeran John how are you sir i, I know i know it's a loss but
1: I'm, I'm i'm we're hanging in there we, we're hanging we need... in there we're still at the top of the division. I can I can live with that at the moment. Yeah,
0: you know what? And it's it was not a great week for the Cincinnati Bengals as as far as the division because basically every team that they didn't want to win won and uh, they lost. So not a, not a good not a good uh, way to, through the AFC North in week three for the Bengals. But they are atop the division and they are heading to Atlanta for the second straight road game down south to face the Falcons and to help us preview the upcoming game, a, a game that uh, two exciting kind of offenses and two exciting teams that don't get to face off very much, is Gina Thomas with SB Nation and The Falcoholic. Gina, how are you, ma'am?
2: I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for making the time, and uh, we there, there's a lot to dissect, I think, from both ends of the spectrum here. We're, we're very glad that you are able to join us and very glad that you'll give us some great insight here. Just... For our listeners and our readers, if you could maybe give just a little bit of background as to maybe how you, I like to do this with our special guests, um, how you got started with SB Nation, uh, what you're doing, and maybe how people can follow you uh, going forward.
2: Okay, Sure. Um, first of all, I grew up with a lot of Bengals fans because I'm from Marion, Ohio, originally. Oh, and wow. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't really follow the NFL. I'm, I'm a diehard Ohio State fan, but didn't follow the NFL until I moved to Atlanta in 2005 and then fell in love with the Falcons because of Michael Vick primarily, but have continued to love the Falcons. So I started writing for the Falcoholic in 2011, and I got credentialed with the team and then started really doing it pretty much full time. And then- Started writing about the NFL as a whole for SB Nation, did that for three seasons, and then moved into a different role there now. But it, I've been at Falcoholics since 2011, which makes me feel very old.
0: <laughs> well, that, you said 2011? Mm-hmm. That, same with me, with, with Cincy Jungle. So right there with you. And don't, we have don't,
2: really don't. suffered through a lot of terrible years. Oh. And
0: a lot of broken heart. You know. I was just, exactly, John, I was just going to say a lot of heartbreaking losses in that span.
2: Yes. Yes, especially playoff losses for both teams. Not uh, that I want to bring any of that up, but uh, I think that Bengals fans and Falcons fans understand each other to some extent.
0: Well, okay. I I do I I would agree and uh, don't worry, we will not be rubbing anything about the Super Bowl from a couple years ago in your face because we have no room to talk here yeah. being a Bengals podcast. So,
2: I'm dating a Patriots fan, so I get That's plenty at home. I don't know. Oh, Oh.
0: Oh. (laughs) that's a a separate podcast episode in itself right there. How that, uh, that, I'll look into that. But, um, you know, going going into this week four matchup between the Bengals and the Falcons, Gina, um, this, I kind of say it tongue in cheek a little bit, but this could be coined kind of a, Uh, a a walking dead or the walking wounded type of matchup because both teams are coming into this game. Very banged up. Mm -hmm. The Bengals got some good news a little bit this week uh, or or today, excuse me on Wednesday about some of their star players who may be coming back or are recovering well, but there are um, from the Atlanta side, I think there's been a comparable amount of injuries for both teams, but I think the severity has been far more worse for Atlanta, uh, especially at at safety. Um, I I think there's been some stuff on the offensive line as well. Can you kind of keep us apprised as to what's the latest update on that front?
2: Sure thing. So on the offense, the Falcons have had to replace their starting left guard. Um, Andy Lovitri has been in that role for a few years, he has torn a tricep, and so he's out for the season. He's been replaced by um, Wes Schweitzer, who is a second-year player, is growing into the role. I mean, he has some lapses in pass protection, but he is—he did place. A substantial amount last year, and he was not very good. So, we've at least seen improvement there. Devontae Freeman has also been out and will likely be out this week um, with a knee contusion that he suffered in week one. So, the problem for the Bengals is that the two guys that the Falcons have behind him are both also really good. So, yeah. offensively, the Falcons are in pretty good shape. On the other side of the ball, it is a catastrophe. They are missing both starting safeties for the entire year. Keanu Neal, the strong safety for his ACL. Ricardo Allen tore his Achilles this past week. Um, They will be without Deion Jones, their standout middle linebacker, sort of the quarterback of the defense, a kid who is just so athletic. He's great in coverage because he has the speed and he's such a ball hawk. He's picked off Drew Brees a ton of times, and he was only in the third year of his career. So he is terribly missed. Um, And then Tack McKinley has been out with a groin injury, and the Falcons really haven't been getting pressure on the quarterback from anybody else on the edge. So that's been a disaster. Um, So Tack may be back this week. He was back at practice. I guess it's just going to depend on – how explosive he can be. But yeah, they've pretty much been decimated. I mean, they just have guys off the street playing safety, essentially.
0: So I, I, that's that's where my next question, you're, you are you set up the segue nicely, I love it. <laughs> um, that's, I, I'm actually located in Southern California, so I'm pretty familiar with Demonte Kazee, mm-hmm. uh, the, the defensive back who I guess is getting some time to fill in yes. uh, because of those injuries. He was kind of known as a big play guy in college that uh, made some turnovers, obviously San Diego state, not necessarily a football powerhouse, but,
2: yeah, but his final year, he was ranked second in the NCAA, the entire NCAA behind like Marshawn Lattimore. What um, for interceptions, I think Lattimore had seven and he had, or Lattimore had eight and he had seven. So mm-hmm. I don't think you can discount that.
0: Right. And so I, that's, that's where I'm going with this because mm-hmm. the Bengals passing offense. Yes. Andy Dalton threw four interceptions last week. Some of, some of, those were his fault some of those were not uh, but up until last week he has been taking care of the football the Bengals have been putting up some decent passing yards what what do you expect in terms of this matchup with Kazee specifically and the Bengals passing offense in the wake of all these injuries with the Falcons in the secondary and Dion and Jones who's a good, a good coverage linebacker as well
2: you know, with, um, and with the Bengals especially, and I don't know what Mixon's status is at this point, but um, I worry more about the safeties against the run. And the Falcons have not been great against the run, especially with these guys out. But Kazi is actually very good in coverage, and so that helps. The problem is, I think, with the absence of the safeties, Ricardo Allen, the free safety, was really the one who was, you know, calling the coverage. And that's a really big adjustment. So it's really not these skill set that I'm concerned about, especially in coverage, because the kid is a ball hawk. But it's the communication on the field, and it's the ability to stop the run. Because if they can gash him on the ground, that opens things up so much for the passing game.
1: Right. So in in Bengals Nation, right now our whipping boy, I guess, is Drake Kirkpatrick, the most, <laughs> one of the most targeted cornerbacks in the league. Got roasted by uh, John... Uh, well, so John Brown in week two, uh, Devin Punches Troy Smith games some travels yesterday. I don't know who is like the it's like the scapegoat in Atlanta. It might just be Julio Jones because he can't find the end zone. But um, a lot of people have been asking us, you know, is is it time for William Jackson to really follow the team's number one uh, wide receiver? And it, would you th- would you say that Steve Sarkeesian? does a good job of setting up Julio against maybe the team's weakest link at cornerback, maybe in the slot, because what we're going to see on Sundays is Patrick and William Jackson are going to be locked in on one side, and that could lead Julio being going up against one or the other. And for, for Falcon's sake, it would be better, obviously, if Jones went against Dr. Patrick. Do you see that uh, happening, or do you, do, or do you see Julio just sticking up on one side of the field?
2: Up until week two of this season against the Panthers, I would have said, no, I don't see Sark doing that. Now I would say, yes, I absolutely see it. And I think the issue was that he needed the emergence of Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley would be a top receiver on most other teams in this league, the way that he's played the in the last two weeks. And so that opens things up to move Julio around the formation a lot more. And the thing is, that was one of the things that Kyle Shanahan did so effectively. Julio would move all around pre-snap, and so defense is never really new, and he would try to exploit different matchups. So, yes, I think that that is definitely something that could happen.
1: And Drake and Patrick's struggle, in a sense, has been one of the main reasons why the Bengals have been giving up 25.6 points a game. Do you know how many points the Falcons are giving up on defense? I'm just curious because <laughs> I, I have the number right in front of me.
2: I believe it was 28.3, That that, 3. that
1: is that is such a coincidence because <laughs> those would, two numbers add up to well over fifty-two points, which I think is the over/under right now. Would you think? Would you would, would you comfortably bet your mortgage on on this game going over the over?
2: Yes. I, oh, absolutely. I hundred percent would. <laughs> I also just want to know. I remembered that number because it's twenty-eight to three. That was the Super
0: Bowl yeah. score. It
1: was I, the I, rule, but I had to do it. No,
2: it that was fine. It was normally I would have had to look it up, but I knew that one off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that's really funny. Yes. Yeah. Talking with Janet Thomas of SB Nation and the Falcoholic, uh here on the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're we're trying not to talk patriots at all with with Miss Thomas here, even though she uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so we're we're grateful for her time and uh for her insight. Uh one question I had and I think just because this is from a Bengals perspective a couple of years ago the Bengals um the, the Bengals just haven't been in general under Mike Brown they have not been big players in free agency and uh outside free agency primarily they have not been been big players. Now they they like to keep their own they like to draft develop keep their own but a couple of years ago they had a big snag because They lost Marvin Jones, they lost uh, Andrew Whitworth, they lost Reggie Nelson, and then uh, one such gentleman made his way down to Atlanta on a nice contract, and a a guy who was a versatile player for the Bengals did a lot of things for them, uh, Mohamed Sanu. So your thoughts on him?
2: I love Mohamed Sanu, and I'm going to tell you the thing that I love the most about him, and I wrote a story about this a couple of years ago. I think it was this first season here. Like He is the nicest person in the entire world. But every time he gets up after a play, he is talking so much trash. And then I find out (laughs) that he's usually talking trash nicely. Like, he'll say things like, you're a really good corner, but I told you you can't cover me. (laughs) So he throws in, like, a little compliment, but then also dunks on him. So I love Sanu. But he's also a big part of this offense. He's a tremendous leader. He is a great blocker. And he plays his role, and he plays at full speed and gives everything to it. And so he has been a great addition to this offense. I absolutely adore him.
0: Do they, do they uh, use him at all? I haven't really paid too close of attention, but have they used him at all in to throw the football? Because uh, mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Yes, they have. They have done it twice that I can remember. Um, they called it the 12-gauge because uh, he's number 12. So he threw a touchdown pass to Julio Jones in I think that was during the 2016 season. Sark did not do anything creative last year. And then they had an absolutely horrible trick play with him in there um, earlier this season, but that one did not work. So I think he's 50-50 on those.
1: Wait, but, but has, he, has he thrown in a completion yet?
2: I, Is his
0: pass rate still 100?
2: I think, I think that even the trick play was complete.
0: <laughs> Let's so go. I think
2: he still has 100% completion percentage and the highest Q- quarterback rating on the team.
1: He's the, he's the greatest quarterback of all time,
2: yeah. without, without doubt. But I agree.
1: Uh, one last question I have, um, th- th- something that I've loved about the Bengals season so far is, or at least after the Colts game, there's been, the Bengals have Geno Atkins, but on the other side of the ball, we've gotten great um, opposing defensive tackles, some of the best in the league. We've had Brandon Williams, Michael Pierce in week two against the Ravens, K1 short last week. Now we're going up against one of my favorite defensive tackles who's not on the Bengals, Grady Jarrett. What, 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 what can you say to Bengals fans who maybe not know who Grady Jarrett is? Because I think he's one of the more underrated players in the league.
2: I would say, first of all, it's my fault that the Super Bowl keeps coming up because I keep bringing it up. But he did sack Tom Brady three times in the Super Bowl. You may have seen him then. He probably would have stood out. He's an undersized guy. He was an absolute seal um, because he really has first round caliber talent, but he is small for a defensive tackle, but that works in Dan Quinn's defensive scheme. I mean, he wants guys who are quick and explosive, and Grady has that. Um, and he's strong enough to still muscle his way through the line and take guys down. So he gets a lot of push in the middle, and he is really a force. The Falcons are going to have to extend him after this year, and um, I think he's going to get a pretty decent paycheck because they can't afford to let him walk. He's way too talented.
0: For, for sure. Grady Jarrett's a, a very talented football player. And the, and the Falcons have done a, a – it, 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 culminated in that Super Bowl appearance, uh, you know, recently with, with they've, they've, they've accumulated a lot of good talents Sanu new being one and Levitre being another, and a lot of guys just coming in and, um, playing, playing well for them, whether they're rookies or free agents or what have you. So, uh, we got to get out of here, but before we do, Gina, we need to get your prediction on what transpires in this game and, uh, god help us all if there's more even more injuries this week to either team because man there's gonna be some names out there probably that people are like who uh so uh your your thoughts on what how this game's gonna what's gonna transpire will the falcons um get past the Bengals and and right the ship at two and two
2: well this is a tough one because i think the Bengals did look really great the first two weeks of the season also my dog I have my dog pick games with the alcoholic staff because I'm a very serious journalist, and yeah. um, my dog had the best, like the best score last week. He, <laughs> he was the only one of us over 500, okay. and so my dog did pick the Bengals today. So that's my caveat, but. I still think the Falcons pull it together. The offense has been firing on all cylinders. That said, I think that Andy Dalton's probably going to throw for, like, 1,000 yards, and the Falcons' (laughs) defense will miss, like, 20 tackles. Um, So it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be a dominant win. It's probably going to elevate my blood pressure and take years off my life. But I think the Falcons win 27 to 24.
0: That's fair. And, you know, I think – as we mentioned, what what'd you say, John? The over was 52, and I, I, think, I think betting the over in this game because of the injuries, because of the offenses oh, yeah. and all of that, I think that's, you know, I, I'm, no, I'm no gambling Nostradamus here, but, uh, you know, I think if you bet the over this week in this game, I think you will you could probably win some money. That's my yes. guess. Uh, Gina, thanks so much for your time. One, one last time, where can everybody follow you and find your material?
2: Oh, um, you can find my material at thefalcoholic.com. Like I said, I'd tune in to see what games my dog picks, what teams my dog thinks will win. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Gina Thomas. It's J-E-A-N-N-A Thomas.
0: Well, thanks so much for making the time with us, and thanks so much for your great insight. Uh, maybe these teams will meet again in the in the Super Bowl this year. Oh, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe have you back if that's, a, if that's a, okay.
2: I'll pencil that in, pencil pen,
0: that in on my pencil, calendar. Pen, not pen,
2: pencil. Pen. I'm, I'm being realistic about the Falcons defense. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah,
0: thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: All right. Uh, that was Gina Thomas with SB Nation and the Falcoholic helping us preview the the Atlanta Falcons. Great interview. And uh, gosh, she said she's dating a Patriots fan, John. That's got to be just that's like, rough. Oh, that would be like a Bengals fan dating a Steelers fan or something. I, I don't know how, how somebody does that. That's like the something you're so passionate about. And it's got to be something that's just, ugh. I don't I don't know how. Anyway, this is the Orange or Black Insider Bengals uh Orange or Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm uh, Anthony Cazenza, He's John Sheeran and you can get this show on iTunes. Uh we're on SoundCloud for the time being. We might change that, but iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. Uh we are also on Art 19. You can get our audio stuff there and uh we're on the Google Play app and Stitcher podcast uh area as well so you can get all of our did i say itunes i think i said itunes we're there too um you can get our stuff on a lot of there's too many platforms to keep up with i love it i love it and then obviously all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com as well so you can check out um all of our stuff that we post on there john i guess we're going to rewind since we we started with gina and uh again our thanks to her she was she was awesome she brought it um Let's, let's talk about the Panthers' loss. And we can sit here and we could do our usual, uh, you know, best and worst and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of want to make it a little different, uh, mix it up a little bit. I think there are probably anywhere from three to five things that we can point out as a specific aspect as to why the Bengals may have lost in week three against Carolina. I mean, there's, is Carolina a better team? Was it just the fact that they were on the road and and played two kind of relatively exhausting games? Was it the injuries? Was it just a a sense of, hey, maybe the Bengals are a better overall team in terms of overall talent, but it's just not a good matchup in terms of a a versatile quarterback and scheme that they run? Um, There's a lot of different things here. I'm going to ask you to pick one facet. Uh, I mean, and not necessarily like, oh, you know, Andy Dalton threw four interceptions or John Ross or whatever, uh, like kind of a macro perspective as to the biggest reason you thought the Bengals lost in week three among those that I listed or maybe one that you have on your own.
1: Yeah, I think it was more of the last point that you mentioned. Uh, the first drive of the game, it looked everything was going great. The Bengals only had like two unsuccessful plays on offense. They were up 7-0. And then they got punched in the mouth. And that was partly because they were lacking personnel linebacker. Obviously, they had Preston Brown and Vonta's perfect out. And in, in their place was Hardy Nickerson and Jordan Evans, who aren't as physical against the run. But also, and that's something that I wasn't expecting to say because when I heard he was taking over an offensive coordinator for a Cam Newton led offense, I thought that it would be a disaster. More or less, I didn't think that. He would utilize the weapons that are in Carolina. And there's some raw talent down there. And we saw that raw talent in full force in the form of 184 rushing yards by Christian McCaffrey and I think 230 total rushing yards by the Panthers' offense. It was just a combination of lack of personnel up front on the middle of the defense for the Bengals and a diverse and versatile running game from the Panthers pl- deployed by none other than North Turner out of nowhere. Um, the very first drive of the game, the Panthers came out and some read option looks. With some guard tackle counters that got the Bengals spread out in their in their light boxes in their nickel formations, and McCaffrey just gashed them all game and had very little negative runs, and those runs sustained drives completely and utterly, and all throughout the game the Bengals just had no way to stop it because again personnel was lacking, and I think the crux of the Proverbic Storm
0: in game that ultimately I think is what kind of broke the back of the Bengals. So, to be clear and to put you on record, you are saying it is blank as the reason, fill in the blank there, is the reason that the Bengals it, lost.
1: Yeah, it was, it was, it was North Turner's scheme,
0: I think. It yeah. North Turner's scheme. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, I think, I think that, uh, you know, of of all the things that I mentioned, I, I, it, I think all of them play a factor in it. And, and that's that's kind of this little game we're playing in uh, the Bengals' loss is trying to determine maybe the biggest factor. And I, I do agree. I think the scheme um, is a huge factor into why the Bengals lost last week. Now, um, we're, we're going to talk about a little something different about this game in, in just a second. But my, I guess my pick or my takeaway of this – Aside from matchup and scheme, I, I, I gotta say the injuries. And I, I hate to make excuses, John. I, and I, I don't like to use the injury bug as excuses. And we've always lauded the Bengals as, you know, this team that has great depth and great depth at the skill positions. But going into the game, right? Joe Mixon not not in the lineup. Billy Price not in the lineup. Michael Johnson not in the lineup. And you can say what you want about Michael Johnson, but when the rest of the team is not getting substantial pressure against cam newton yes he is an edge rusher and yes he's a guy that they use on third downs in creative ways and he's also good against the run and setting the edge as a defensive end that hurts to miss a guy like that so you can say what you want about michael johnson and quote unquote starter you know he's a guy i think they miss so you got price you got Mixon, you got johnson you got preston brown you still have Vontes perfect out and then in the game you lose a bunch of guys including your star wide receiver um geo went in and out of the lineup a couple times um you know it, uh, to me i just think that they went it was a combination of the, the injuries and maybe going on the road a little bit preston brown I, I i think i mentioned him he's he was out of the lineup he's yeah he's not the most versatile linebacker in the league but he is good against the run he's a tackler and tackling was atrocious on uh, uh, with the defense this week so i i kind of think that you know missing some of these guys missing. Imagine that defense going up against McCaffrey and Newton with Brown and perfect in that lineup. And, you know, perfect hurt the team with his decisions with what he did. But I mean, still he's the best, the team's best linebacker. And he's probably the the second or third best defensive player on the team. And that's saying something. Cause there are a lot of good defensive players on this team, but you know, you, you miss a guy like that. You miss Brown in the middle. I, I don't know. I, to me, I just kind of felt like this was a, This game was a perfect storm. There were a lot of factors, a lot of which we mentioned. But I think that the injury bug, it was just too much to overcome. Yeah, the Panthers had their injuries, especially on the offensive line and some stuff as well. But that, the humidity, and I, I don't know. I just, I kind of felt like, the Bengals were too banged up, were not close to full go, especially as the game wore on, and and especially with A.J. Green missing from the lineup. Um, I, I felt that that was kind of too much for them to overcome. However, this is where, what I want to transition to and ask you about, John. I thought that the Bengals, regardless of the struggles on defense, and even with A.J. Green out of the lineup, I thought that the Bengals kept the game close. They, with all of how they didn't play well at certain stretches, the four interceptions, the 200-plus yards rushing, given up, they still had a chance to kind of be in it late. Yeah, you know, it would have taken a field goal. And are you at least encouraged that this loss wasn't something where you're like, I mean, yeah, they were getting blown off the ball on defense and the run game and all that. But, I mean, are you at least encouraged that it was like, hey, this offense can score points if the, if the defense isn't doing their thing. And they didn't really quit. They didn't really give up this week uh, that we've seen from the couple of years past when they got down. They were just like, oh, all right. I, I kind of was a, a little bit encouraged from my end, seeing that they were like, "Hey, we're still in this. We're still in this. Even if, if we're down 10 points, 14 points, they made a game of it.
1: Be competitive for 60 minutes when you, the turnover margin is four against you. You know, then technically it was three because the last interception came with you know no time on the clock. So a three to a three to nothing turnover margin and keeping it a one score game, all those are commendable. And I think another thing that you know is worth mentioning is that Green went out I think with 13 minutes quarter to 21 points without their best player, which I think is also noteworthy. Going up against a defense that is led by the best linebacker in the game in Luke Keekley. Tried to stuff out a lot of Bengals plays on offense, so the offense, even with you know Ross's struggles and Don's miscommunication on that third interception, offense still put up twenty-one points and kept the whole team in the game. And that was thanks to contributions by Tyler Eifert, which we haven't seen in a while. Uh, C.G. Zoma stepped up a little bit. Obviously, Tyler Boyd blew a gauge again back against Land because I don't know if he's good enough to be the first option. But regardless, there were encouraging signs for sure. And this is not the kind of loss where, you know, the sky is all of a sudden falling out of nowhere because Panthers have proven to be a quality team. And again, North Turner has proven to be a quality play caller. And, you know, there were still encouraging signs in a game where, you know, it seemed like a lot of things went wrong.
0: Yeah, and I want to echo those sentiments from a comment we received in the live YouTube chat from Bengals fan 18 Not getting that fumble recovery and the almost block punt were missed opportunities. And uh, (laughs) unfortunately, both were. On Sam Hubbard's shoulders, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know. I, I that's the other thing, and we're not here to 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 wave the flag of, of moral victories and all that kind of stuff because that's, I mean, that you can you can feel better about that if you want, but that's not really that doesn't do anyone any good. Um, but I what, I think where we're going is you know this was a this was a closer game maybe than ten points suggested. And even with the struggles, mm-hmm. the four turnovers by the Bengals and the none forced by the Bengals defense, um, you can, you kind of got to be like, hey, you know, uh, tough game because you're going on the road. You won two straight. You know, you're you're banged up. You got. to I, I just kind of feel like you got to be like, hey, first of all, this is not going to be a 16 0 team. Sorry, and uh, they obviously right. are, are not now. But I, I think you got to got to be like, hey there's still kind of a different vibe even in a loss with this team, right? Mm-hmm.
1: No, for sure. And that was kind of echoed by what I think it was Drake or Patrick's comments. You know, they had they didn't have Mixon, they didn't have Price, they didn't have Preston, they didn't have Vontaze, all those kinds of things. And, yeah, like like I, like I wrote for Since the Jungle, there was like a four-play stretch that kind of really decided the game and it was personal foul or unnecessary or what it, unsporting like conduct almost blocked punt and then the sack that led to the interception that kind of really turned the whole game and with it being early early in the season there's obviously still a great sense of optimism because they are still in a better position than where they were last year and uh, that's kind of fresh in their minds but yeah I definitely think that this team has an attitude to quickly turn it around against another team that will put up a lot of points on them on the road
0: yeah, and uh, we'll we'll get to that in just a second as well. We want to we want to give uh, we'll we'll give some of our thoughts as well as what uh, some of the thoughts from Gina Thomas, who joined us from SB Nation uh, and the Falcoholic, Our thanks to her. Um, any any additional thoughts before we move on? We've got you know I've got a couple other topics on the table here, John. But any additional thoughts or any anything else you want to add about the Bengals' loss to the Panthers?
1: So, I talked a little bit on Twitter, or on CJ, about, about the, the pass rush. And specifically, it, it, it's hard enough to sack Cam Newton in itself because he's such a great mm-hmm. man, manager of the pocket. And not, not only the fact that he can run, but he's, he's just hard to tackle. He's kind of like Big Ben in that sense. But um, I think uh, – I, I initially said that the majority of the pass rush didn't pressure Cam Newton enough, and I kind of want to – I kind of want to retract that a little bit because reviewing the tape, Geno Atkins did do a good job of hurrying him, just didn't finish him. And so, pass rush—too much to be concerned about going up against a quarterback who's more stationary, than Matt Ryan. Yeah,
0: and uh, you know, you mentioned—I think both Carlos Dunlap and Carl Lawson. Um, I, I just want to say for those of you who are on Twitter, I think it's John Ledyard who is uh, on Twitter, he did a sequence of a number of different snaps to Carl Lawson. And and this goes, this goes to credit you as well, John, because you had mentioned this, uh, I think a couple weeks ago on, on Twitter about, you know, sacks. They only tell half the story because he's pressured, pressured, pressured. He just hasn't wrapped up and brought the quarterback down. Lawson uh, being Lawson that, that I'm talking about here. If you look at John Ledyard's Twitter, there are some photos stills on his Twitter where literally Carl, Carl Lawson, I almost did the same thing you did. Car, Carl, Carl Lawson, Carlos, <laughs> uh, where literally he is lifting the the right tackle. I believe it is off of the ground. You see this 300 plus pound man being lifted off of the ground with one arm, one hand from Carl Lawson making a rush. And it is, and there's three times it's not once three times where he absolutely lifts the guy off the ground as he's rushing the quarterback. So, I I would like to see some of that translate into those big loss plays, the strap, uh, the, the sack strip fumble type of thing. But unfortunately it hasn't happened yet for Lawson, but I think it's coming. And I think he's, he is, uh, you know, he's getting in there. He's disruptive. It's just not being noticed so much. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. check that out if, if you if you get a chance. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sharon. I'm Anthony Kazenza. and uh, we are so happy to have you with us this week. Um, even though it's a Bengals loss, the Bengals are two and one, and they are heading to the uh, to Atlanta to face the Falcons this week, and um, should be an interesting thing. You can get this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, CincyJungle.com. You can also get it on Stitcher, Google Play app and uh all kinds of other places so we ask that you subscribe and check us out we appreciate all of the support that you've shown this program over the the past couple of years that we have started it john i guess the big story here before we move on to our own take of the atlanta falcons is john ross this week and i feel like when we talk about john ross it's always either oh god or, hey, wow, there he is, right? I mean, preseason, it's like, oh, you know, non-existent, non-existent, great game against the Bills. Um, this season, great game against – well, not great, but had the touchdown catch against the Colts. Um, hasn't really done much since. Now, this week, he's been the topic of a lot of scrutiny. And already, people, fans are saying bust, bust, bust. Um there are a number of factors going into this, and uh, a number of uh, differing opinions that you can say. You know, hey, it's either just a chemistry thing between he and Dalton because they haven't played together long. Um, there are some still some quote-unquote bad Andy throws uh, that that occur, and he seems to just kind of force feed Ross at times when he's going deep. Um, and there's times where Ross either appears to quit on routes, doesn't know the right routes. I, you know, I don't want to belabor this point, but it is a big point of contention within Bengals nation, Bengals fans right now because of his high pick status and some high hopes this year. The Bengals got rid of Brandon LaFell thinking that Boyd and Ross and all those guys are ready to take that next step. Where do you say you you actually put up a very good post on Wednesday about John Ross and some things with the game on on uh, Sunday against the Panthers? Where do you stand at this? Is it is it Andy and Ross mostly Ross mostly Andy? I'm at kind of a loss at this point.
1: Yeah, um, the interception that everyone talked about. I kind of put that on both. It was, it was bad. It, it, you can't excuse Ross for just kind of nonchalantly finishing that route and just not being aware of what's going on in the play because he was, presumably the main the first read from Andy in that case, and the timing dictated that Ross probably should have looked back for the ball at the top of that post, just for circumstances that happened in the play. Dalton thought he was going straight, continuing a vertical route instead of finishing the post. The interception happened because cornerback saw it. Regardless, all, all all that stuff is, you know, you know they they look at it in film and they they kind of move on from it. You know, no no one's really saying anything bad about Ross from the team in that perspective, and I think that's a good sign. But the people who's saying that he's a bust, it's I I don't want to just equate him to John to Tyler Boyd. Excuse me for kind of a kind of a similar second year start so far where. Boyd was like a healthy scratch for like the first half of the season, because he was dealing with, you know, lack of trust in the coaching staff and that drug possession charge in, in the summer. But I also think that it's, it's worth saying that to, to call John Ross a bust, in my opinion, it's to, to call anyone a bust this early. it, it It's ridiculous for the, fir- for the first part, but I was comfortable saying that like Cedric he was a quote unquote bust after, you know, a couple of handful of starts in his second year, primarily because he wasn't a good player in college. And I think that's why a lot of people are forgetting that John Ross was one of the very best receivers, like legitimately, stats-wise, film-wise, he was one of the very best receivers when he exited the college game. And all of that didn't just disappear. And another thing with receivers is that, yeah, sometimes it takes, you know, one to two years before they're fully acclimated into whatever system they are until they fully grasp the full concept of the game and that could be that could also be the case of Ross as well and I'm not make any excuses for him because he is a grown up and he, he does have a child and he doesn't understand the responsibilities that's bestowed upon him all that kind of stuff but I do think that it's not fair to label him something that he never was and I think some people are kind of saying, yeah he was never good in the first place and that's just it, 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 it's just simply not true and I do think that he did show his value regardless when he didn't even get the ball. He cleared out a lot of space for Tyler Boyd and Tyler Eifert and, and A.J. Green early in the game with a lot of those deep routes that really occupy the safety. And that was one of the intentions of why he was brought on because he added the dimension of verticality in the offense. And I think that can never be understated regardless of what he's doing when the ball is targeted to him. I think these are just bumps in the road that, yeah, they look like they're going to be here forever, but they're, they're just not. You know, talented players will overcome this. Good players become great. Bad players stay bad. I don't think John Ross has ever been a bad player. I don't think he's ever been not talented. These are just things that are, are unfortunate, but they are also things that we can all move on from. And to label him as a bust is just—it's uh, it's just plainly inaccurate, stupid.
0: I, I wholeheartedly agree with that last sentiment there, and the reason why I agree with that last sentiment is because what this guy's played six six regular season NFL games, six. I mean, I, I, can you sit there? I mean, if you're think about it, think think if you're really on a job uh, on your job for six weeks, six months. I mean, you're you're gonna you're gonna have hiccups. You're gonna have mistakes. That's going to happen. You're it's a there's a learning curve that happens. And unfortunately for him, yeah, I I, I really liked the pick when it happened. But yes, I felt that number nine was too high for John Ross. I just. Uh, you know, I, I felt like he was a little overdrafted and the Bengals needed and were desperate for a supplemental weapon opposite of AJ Green on the outside who could bring speed and all of that. And because that this this team was very slow and this team needed some sizzle on offense, I thought that was a good pick at the time, regardless of even if it starts to pay dividends two, three years down the road. Here's the thing. The Bengals, when they draft a lot of guys, whether it's first round, second round. They not only do they not only, uh, do, do they not always play these guys right away, but sometimes their biggest impact happens two, three years down the road. Um and that's because either they get the opportunity, they fill in for someone that's injured. You know, Drake Kirkpatrick's been a, a favorite whipping boy lately, but if you remember when the Bengals defense and, and their cornerback situation wasn't all that great a couple of years ago, I'm thinking maybe 14, 15. Um, I'm thinking that that Denver Broncos game against Peyton Manning that got him into the uh, around Christmas time, that got him into the playoffs. Drake Kirkpatrick had an amazing game, and Drake Kirkpatrick finally got to show that he can make some big plays at that time and and help the team. Now, unfortunately it's been a lot of missed opportunities for Drake Kirkpatrick lately, but that's just one example. Carlos Dunlap was a guy that they didn't play for half of his rookie season. He's he played for uh, the other half exploded. Obviously one of the best pass rushers in, in team history. So I, I just think even though, yeah, he's a number nine pick, even though, yeah, this offense has been a little vanilla in 2016, 2017, and you want to see that that sizzle this year? I think it's six. He's he's played six games, guys. I mean, I I can't stress that enough. I think we got to kind of say, hey, I I think it would be a a very big shame if the Bengals didn't have AJ Green, if they didn't have Tyler Boyd, if they didn't have both of them, and they were relying on Ross solely as the guy um, going forward, because that pressure would be immense. Thankfully, he has guys like that in front of him, and thankfully, those two guys seem to be taking him under under their wings. And uh, I, I think that there's a lot of a lot of good that can come from that. Now, John, the other the other thing that I've always thought about, not only with Ross, but I, I go back a few years when the Bengals had Andrew Hawkins. Now, Andrew Hawkins was a fast guy, but he was a little bit more quick than fast, um, smaller than Ross. Yes, a little different skill set than Ross. I think Ross is, is a bit more dynamic and uh, can, can do more things than, than maybe Hawkins. But where, where I'm seeing this is I would like to see the Bengals do some of those shovel passes, the drag routes, yes. the, 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 yes. easy, the easy plays that will get him the ball in his hands. He can do the yards after the catch things. And and that not only, number one, plays into his skill set, but number 2 i think it builds his confidence and i think i think i think that th- those are two critical aspects that that should be th- thought upon about John Ross and his contributions to the offense. I want to get your thoughts, but I just want to footnote that with saying I'm not complaining too much about Bill Lazor's offense because the offense hasn't largely been the problem. They've put up points. Um, they've been able to overcome a little bit of the Joe Mixon injury, and they've you know they've overcome some things. Yes, there's some dry spells, but he's getting a lot of people involved. My thing is with Ross, I think he can do some – it doesn't have to be decoy deep ball or deep ball to him. Or, or something like that. It, it could be something that's controlled. It could be something that is almost a run play that's a pass. Um, and I think you could use them effectively that way. Your thoughts? Like it.
1: Well, I, there's no reason why John Ross can't do – when his mind is right, there's no reason why John Ross can't do the same exact things that Tyreek Hill is doing in Kansas City. And I will stand by that until I die. It's a great point. I won't say that – I won't say that John Ross is better than Tyreek. we just don't have anything that backs that up at the moment, but the way that the chiefs are using Tyreek Hill is exactly how the Bengals should be using John Ross. There's just no reason why they aren't scheming this guy open in space on bubble screens, on mesh concepts, getting him the ball so we can get yards after catch because as we have all said over the past 18 months, he's more than just a deep threat. He's extremely quick. He can make guys miss in the open field and to get him the ball, where he doesn't have to think much about the route that he's running or the coverage that he's going up against, while he's still going through the motions. There's, nothing. and that's something that Bill Lazor has to do better because for the large part that as we said, Laser has done a good job of utilizing his weapons, specifically Green and Boyd, but he's got to do a better job of acclimating Ross more into this offense rather than the, than just being that guy who runs clear out routes vertical to open up the rest of the offense. I think that is imperative, like you said, for Ross's confidence, but also to diversify the offense even more because this offense can get better. And it starts, in my opinion, not only just with the better run block, but John Ross.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I agree. And I, th- I think, unfortunately, I think it also comes with a guy like John Ross and his skill set. You know, you think, especially, and I'm not degrading anyone's knowledge of football or anything like like that. I'm just saying, I think, when you see the four-two-two speed and some college tape, you automatically assume well, this guy's going to come in and just, you know, scorch the NFL. It happens sometimes. It doesn't happen all the time. And uh, I, you know, I think I think Bengals fans should be a little more patient with John Ross. And uh, I, I think there are good things ahead for him. I think if Bill Laser tweaks the game plan a little bit with him, he and Andy continue to build chemistry. I think there's some great things ahead for them. And I think that he can be a potent part of this offense. And my thing is, I, I think you, I've said this before on this show, John, I, I think that this team is really, even though they got off to a two and start, I think this team's going to really hit its stride, maybe mid to late season, because if they stay healthy, because they are a bit younger at a lot of positions and they, they shed some of those veteran guys. I think that some of these young guys then will start to get, you know, their legs under them and, uh, you know, they might show some growth. I, I think, and I think Ross is one of those guys. I mean, you have to figure his rookie year was basically a wash, and um, you know, he, he hasn't played in a lot of games. And I, I just, I think we need to, I think we need to pump the brakes on on the criticism a little bit. And I think that some of the things that we're seeing that are frustrating the running a wrong route or a perceived giving up on a play things like that, that's that's part of a rookie receiver. He's not a rookie in terms of years in the NFL, but he's a rookie in terms of games played. And I, and I think that that needs to be taken into account. And thankfully, the Bengals have some other weapons to rely on in the, in the offense here. Um, We're going to open up the phone lines and text line here to get a couple of listener questions before we get out of here. Um, 949-542-6241 is the number 949-542-6241 if you want to get in touch with us. Uh, Just a couple of news and notes before we get to um, some calls and and listener questions. Um, The Bengals signed because of the unfortunate injury to Ryan Glasgow, who uh, had been playing well on a rotational basis for the Bengals, uh, season-ending knee issue for him. The Bengals signed former Ohio State star, um, Adolphus Washington. Uh, your thoughts on, on him, John? Do you have any scouting reports or anything on him?
1: Yeah, so last week I went into Penn Station in Clifton, and there's a, there's a signed autographed picture of Washington in Ohio State uniform, and I just found out that he went to Hughes High School. Uh, so he's a big look guy here in Cincinnati, and that had to be part of the reason why he was at the top of the list of the guys that they would bring in um, once Ryan Glasgow went out. And I, I personally loved the Andrew Brown, pick, Andrew Brown pick, but it was clear that, you know, after missing a lot of preseason and a lot of training camp and eventually getting cut, then they get signed back on the practice squad. If he didn't get on now, then clearly he's not ready. But Washington comes in with a couple years of experience. Uh, I think some people in Buffalo thought that this was going to be the year he broke out, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, he was waived after week one, picked up by the Cowboys. I do think that there's some athleticism, athletic upside to this. I do think naturally he's more of a three technique fit than Glasgow was, even if Glasgow to his credit was kind of coming on into that penetrator role. I don't think he's going to play too much this week. He, he might, I have no idea, but um, I, I, I think there is some upside to it just because um, he was talented, you know, even if he didn't produce that much on a talented offensive line in the highest, I think, you know, it, 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 it's low risk, you know, so m- m- might as well. So it,
0: yeah, yeah, and he should be able to to contribute in on some in some capacity for the Bengals right away. I would think. Um, yeah, a lot of people were disappointed in the Andrew Brown thing, but uh, you know it is what it is, and uh, you know the Bengals want guys with NFL experience and guys who can come in now. Like I said, this is a pretty pretty young roster in some spots. Um, but best best of luck ahead and best of recovery ahead for Ryan Glasgow because um, you know he started to he he was making some plays last week, even though it didn't always show it um you know pretty pretty decent football player good rotational backup and a guy that the Bengals will probably miss especially because of that depth we did get uh a couple of calls uh please call back if you can we're we're talking some news and notes before we uh get out of here the other thing on your um on the Bengals front it looks as if yes some players are dinged up but yes Some of them are coming back. Marvin Lewis noted that the the progress of A.J. Green, Joe Mixon, and Billy Price is something very positive. By all indications, it seems as if A.J. Green is going to play Sunday after that groin issue kept him out of the second half of the Panthers game. Not sure yet about Mixon and Price. If you're asking me now, and I'll get your thoughts on this too, John. If you're asking me now, I say Green plays. Mixon's a maybe, and Price is probably one more week away. But th- that's just me totally looking in on the outside. What what do you think?
1: Yeah, I would probably agree with. that. I like how they kind of trolled us with saying, "Oh, Adrian's back, practice in full pads, and just went straight to the rehab field." So that was that was was kind of cruel on their part, I guess. But yeah, I think I I, I definitely think Mixon's a coin flip, just because he he said he could practice or could play last week if he wanted to, but obviously he didn't. Um, I think Thomas Rawls should be coming back, so maybe they don't want to play mixing up until, I, I guess, Miami. I think Price is going to continue to stay out. They're going to have Hopkins in there at, at center. Um, But I, I I they might put it up to Green, honestly, because if he was out there in full Dakota practice, and it's not like AJ Green does need to practice, but this is this is a personal game for Green because his family is going to be in Atlanta. He grew up in Somerville, just really close to it. He's going up against his counterpart in the 2011 draft and Julio Jones, I think that that is going to push green's health you know, to where it needs to be, I guess. And he's going to kind of pu- push through it. And obviously no one's really going to say no to AJ green if he wants to play. And that, that kind of worries me because he might not be a hundred percent, but if he was out there this week, he must've gotten some type of green light at, at the very least to get, be in full pads to be on the, on the rehab field. So I would probably say he goes this week.
0: Yeah. And I, I think uh, even 70. 70- 75% of AJ green is um, <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and it, whether it's grabbing attention or, or whatever um, let's look at some. And, and again, you can call or text. We're having a little bit of phone difficulties, I think, but you can uh, call or text nine, four, nine, five, four, two, six, two, four, one, before we get out of here for some listener questions. Um, I saw some in the YouTube chat. Uh, uh, this was a good one, I thought, John, and unfortunately, I didn't really get to go back and watch this, but hopefully you did. This is from Nick Marks in the in the chat. Um, what happened on the A.J. Green play that was called incomplete?
1: Yeah, so on the broadcast, it didn't show replay, so I had to go back and look at it from the coach's film, and from what I saw is that Green caught it, got one foot in, and then the ball kind of drops down to his left knee and it looks like he's kind of bobbling and trying to regain possession and at that same time another foot came down and at this point that that foot came up looked like green re- resecured it got another foot down and then went out of bounds so i for what i'm what i'm assuming is the ref saw the ball bobble and then when he repossessed it he only had one footed incomplete so i think that's kind of what happened even if i would have liked a further explanation of it
0: yeah, like I said, I didn't really get to see it. I, I, I stepped out for one second, and I uh, didn't get to see the play. Um, ended up kind of being a, a big play in the, in the scheme yeah, of things uh, because it caused the third and 17. Then the next play, I think Dalton threw that interception towards Ross, and, um, you know, it kind of started to snowball a bit out of control from there. But I think it's a microcosm of the officiating this year, that there's been a lot of questionable calls, both – on the Bengals, against the Bengals, against other teams, and uh, I think that's a theme for this year. We do have a call on the line. Uh, I want to. We, we have a call on the line from our good friend John from Kentucky. John, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, and uh, great podcast tonight. I always like uh, hearing you guys. Honestly, get right to it. Uh, the game. Honestly, I just thought the the Bengals last Sunday against the Panthers, I I just thought they got manhandled on both sides of the ball,
2: really. But they kept playing hard, and they did stay in the game uh, most of the time. But, you know, all the first downs, we gave up on defense. And I still thought Andy Dalton got pressured a lot. But the Panthers just looked like the stronger team last Sunday. But I know this is the NFL. And, of course, if Cincinnati was to play, say the Panthers this Sunday and Paul Brown, it could be
0: totally different. So I, I do think we're in pretty good shape now. I have been dishing on Drake pretty bad tonight in the in the chat with with some people, but um, Draymond Patrick, I don't know, I'm know, i pretty concerned this weekend against Atlanta because it seems to me like he
2: struggles against you know Super Bowl quarterbacks. You know, quarterbacks that have been in the Super Bowl.
0: Never mind, one of them. That's just my yeah. opinion. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll get to I'll get to your thoughts in just a second. Um, John Sheeran. Um, But, you know, the thing is that I – here's the thing with Dre. You know, he's – this year, he's given up big penalties. He's given up critical first-down plays. He did it last week, critical first-down plays on third downs. He's not giving up the gigantic touchdown passes. He's not giving up, um, you know, large, large, large gains um, for the most part. It's just kind of been a really frustrating year for Dre. And I think, and John, I remember from, from years past, you and I both have been critical of, of Drake or Patrick from different programs. I remember. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that one of the things that has really hurt Dre this year and, and would have put him in bigger, uh, I guess, more so in fan graces is the fact that he's dropped in at least one interception opportunity every game this year. Um, And and, 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 you know, this is a team – I think we know now that this is a defense that will give up yards, it will give up some points, but they will feast, kind of like what they did in 05, they will feast off of the turnovers, and they'll, they will create the short fields for Dalton. That That's kind of the plan. And it worked well the first couple of weeks. And when they didn't do it this, this week, it re- and then Dalton turned the ball over more, it really bit them in the in the butt, and I think Dre has got to learn and got to figure out how to hang on to some of these interceptions. I, I'm sure that's stuck in your your craw, right, John?
1: Yeah, and what yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even remember the last interception he got, but
0: then somebody was Michael Myers. He mentioned <laughs> a couple. Actually, it was in a, a prime-time game against Denver. Yep. that three or four years ago. Other than that, though. I can hardly remember any, so I expect a lot more from him. But I will say this. You know, Drake or Patrick, for the past few years, can make a tackle and get up. Remember when he first came? To six games? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he'd make a tackle, and he looked like he'd been hit by a car. He'd yep. lay there, and, yep. Yep. and they'd have to help him off the field, that he wouldn't play for six games. Yep. He'd come out, he'd play again, make one tackle. Down he goes. He yep. can't get up. And I thought, man.
2: They drafted this guy in the first round. This is unreal. Yeah. So he is past that point. But like you said, would really
0: appreciate it if he could get some turnovers. It would greatly help us out when we need it. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. We're going to take the rest of this question off the air and try and get some other callers in. Appreciate the call and uh, appreciate okay. the support, on, sir. All right, guys. Hootay. buddy. Uh, John, yeah, well, there was, there was two Johns there, so that got a little confusing. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I, I do want to get your uh, your thoughts on Drake, because obviously now, I, I mean, it, it's it's these are ball these are footballs that are hitting him right in the chest, right in the hands. I mean, these are gimmies, and Cam Newton gave him a gimme last week. He didn't do it. Um, now again, who knows if that would have what that would have done? But it was a little bit of a microcosm as to the Bengals' afternoon against the Panthers because. They missed that block punt, as we mentioned earlier. They missed that fumble recovery. They missed that interception. Your thoughts on Dre? I mean, like I said, he's not giving up the long ball touchdowns. He's not giving up, you know, 50-yard plays routinely, but he's giving up 15, 20 yards on third and 11. He's giving up – he's he's letting things happen and move the sticks, and he's not making the interceptions to kind of atone for those things. Yeah, and because he's not getting
1: burned deep, that's why there's nothing really – jesse Bates or sean williams can really do for him over the top like people have asked me like you know can, can they shade a safety over towards dre side to give him help how is the safety going to help if they just keep burning him underneath and because the dude on third and long doesn't play to the sticks he plays like four yards past the sticks and it allows <laughs> just a first down like that happened multiple times against carolina he like he tackled i think it was tory smith like two yards past the first down and then like held his fist up like it was fourth down, and he's like, "Oh wait, crap!" It was, the, the, oh, crap. <laughs> But like, that's just that's just Dre things at this point. Like, I like at this point, I don't care if he if he doesn't catch interceptions. I just coverage because he, he can't even do that. Like he gives up so much separation when guys are coming coming out of the breaks, and he has to like turn his head around completely. And, like doesn't even flip his hips. He turns his whole body around. It's like the exact opposite teaching tape of a cornerback coming into the NFL, and those are issues that were with him in Alabama and they just never really got better because it's just hard for players to change. So it's just hard to really hide a cornerback, specifically a cornerback that doesn't get burned deep but just can't stay with his guy, you know, in the short and intermediate routes and there's hard for a defense to try to help him out in that sense because there's just not a lot that they can do. An offense will take advantage of a certain of a certain weakness on the defense.
0: Uh, yeah, and it's very – there was kind of some talk about like, oh, Dre was seen walking around Paul Brown Stadium this week with a football cradle in his arms, and he worked extra long after practice to, you know, catch the football. And he was he was playing catch with Andy Dalton after practice, I think, it was, were some of the reports. And it still isn't – I don't know. it. It's almost as if there's been a bit of a regression. And I say that because – even when he was a reserve defensive back, when Terrence Newman was here, Leon Hall was here and he kind of was like in and out of the lineup when he was there, he was kind of the, the gamble, big, big play guy. You know, he was either like kind of letting up a play or he would have that big interception or a pick six or something like that. And it just hasn't happened the last couple of years. And, you know, now he's got kind of a big contract and I think some people are getting a little impatient with him, but, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see here. Um, this is a question from Peter Nephis in the chat room and then we'll get our, our score predictions or our predictions and some final thoughts on the Falcons game before we get out of here. Peter Nephis in the YouTube chat says is it time to rotate in is it is it time to rotate in Jefferson and I think he mean, means Malik Jefferson based on what we've seen from the linebackers you've seen them struggle in coverage against running backs and tight ends you've seen the backup Linebackers Hardy Nickerson and and others um, not play so well against the run, um, or at least this past week. So, is this still another thing with in terms of with Jefferson? Is this still a thing where Marvin is being very staunch with those rookies, and you know they got to bide their time, or is this? Kind of a time to say, Marv. You know, you've made some changes in terms of this team and who you are this year. Maybe it's not so time, and then maybe it's not the time to be so prideful, and let a guy like Jefferson get in there. Because, quite honestly, I don't know what there is to lose, especially when you're still missing potentially Preston Brown and Vontez Burfitt.
1: Yeah. So Jefferson, I think the whole thing with the Bengals linebackers essentially is that they, they're you notice the difference so much with them because. T- Traditionally, the Bengals defensive line doesn't make a lot of impact plays on the run. They're really gap oriented, but they don't, you know, shed a lot of blocks up there. And it's really up to perfect for a lot of those times to make plays on second level blockers and track down uh, uh, running backs, or whatever on outside runs. And as we've seen, without him, whenever he's not out there, guys like Visual and Jordan Evans and this, this Hardy Nickerson, they can't really pick up the slack, and that's why these long runs kind of happen. With Jefferson, it, it was pretty obvious in the preseason that he just was just clearly not ready in terms of just yeah, handling yeah. his gaps and just being being a disciplined player at the, at the position. And that was really expected because he came in at 21 years old. Um, he had really one, or one and a half good years at Texas where they just kind of let him free. And that's why I think the potential is there for him having the same qualities, if not at the same level as a perfect guy who's a pursuit guy who can go from straight over the back of formations and make those impact plays. I just don't think that's... I just don't think that in a week's time we're going to be able to see that from him in his first game playing on the defense. I think that they just kind of they just got to bite the bullet and just have who they have out there now in terms of Nickerson and Vigil and Evans and just kind of hope for the best. And because obviously Falcons' running game, I don't think is as diverse with especially Steve, Steve Sarkeesian calling the plays. They won't be as as diverse and as versatile as we see as we saw the Panthers' run game. And I think that will. I guess help out the linebackers see things. Guys do have to win one-on-one assignments. They do have to get off blocks. They do have to make impact plays. Um, I I just I I would still even have more confidence in Evans and Vigil doing that over Jefferson
0: at this point. Yeah, and and, oh boy, SC fans and Sarkeesian. Don't let's let's not even let's not even go there. I mean that's (laughs) like. Lane Kiffin and Se. Um, here's here's my thing with, with Malik Jefferson. I think, yes, he has immense growing to do. Yes, I think his upside is very big. I've always kind of been a little bit of the mindset, though, of if you have confidence in – and I, I mainly say this in terms of the back seven of a defense, the linebackers and secondary players. And, and I, I guess I'm more specifically saying the linebackers and the safeties. So – my, my thing is is if you ha- if you are flanked with a bunch of veterans, guys that you know are doing their job, guys that you know have high football IQ and can diagnose plays well, you can say what you want about Vonta' perfect in terms of his late hits and all that kind of stuff. if you hear about him, his football IQ, according to coaches and players and everything it's through the roof his, di- his ability to diagnose plays is through the roof okay Preston Brown. Probably not as high of a football IQ as is Perfect, but a disciplined football player, nonetheless, not as dynamic of a football player as Vontez Perfect, but a guy that you can kind of trust when he's in there and healthy and all of that, you know, I, I'm kind of like, maybe you can kind of have the wild man in there, you know, maybe you can kind of have the wild card and let him run sideline to sideline. And yeah, you might get, you might get, uh, some some headaches and some oh my god! But you might get those wow plays, you know. And, and mm-hmm. I think I think back a little bit to what the Steelers did with Troy Polamalu and what the Ravens did with Ed Reed. And yeah, it's a different position; it's safety. But they had all those pieces kind of around them, and they knew those guys weren't real. I mean, they had high football IQ and incredible athleticism and big playability. But they kind of said, "Dude, do your thing. D- just, yeah. just, just." I, I mean, here's the play. Try and play within the confines of it. But, I mean, Paul Amalu was almost a linebacker at times. Exactly. I mean, I, I mean he, he was he was a guy They, I mean, remember how many times he would time a snap and and jump over yeah. the center and, and sack a quarterback? So it, my, my point is – and I'm not saying Malik Jefferson's an Ed Reed or a Troy Paul Amalu, but my point is that if you have an athletic guy and he's surrounded by guys that may be able to mask a little bit of his – mistakes or his, uh, youth or that sort of thing. I don't know. I, I think you may want to roll the dice a little bit, especially when things, I mean, I, I don't want to say one week is, you know, well, let's get knee jerk reactionist, but, um, you drafted him in the third round for a reason and, uh, he's mm-hmm. got athleticism and size. I don't know. Am I crazy in thinking that? Or is that, is that just, you know, Hey, that's a little too mad in football for me, buddy.
1: No, I think the potential for him to be there is there. I think if we're talking about a one-week solution in terms right. of before Burfick comes back, it might not be the best, which yeah. which is the, which is the context of which I was answering. But I totally agree that Jefferson that that was that was what stood out on tape was when he was just let loose, able to make those perfect like plays. A grand in, in in the Big Twelve and whatnot. But yeah, the potential is there for him to become that. And it, it, I think at the very least, I should give him a, a couple opportunities in the base. Because they, they claim that he can play all three positions. Obviously, they wouldn't want him, you know, with the mic in his helmet or whatnot. But if he comes in for you know Hardy Nickerson on a drive or two, Edmond linebacker in base, I, I wouldn't be too opposed to just just see what we can get for him. But my expectations, I guess, would be very low in that department. I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm with you there. But uh, he is a guy that probably later this year or uh, you know next year he he should be having a prominent role. Mm-hmm. Depending on his growth, because I think, I think the ceiling's high there. Um, the floor may be a little low, but uh, I think the ceiling is very high there for for him. He's very athletic, and I think once he kind of gets the nuances of things, he, he, Malik Jefferson could be a good player for the Bengals. Um, one last, could just kind of quick to put a bow on the John Ross thing. We got a text from I believe it was from Austin Tran. Do you think John Ross is going to overcome his mistakes for what he did in the Panthers game, whether they are his mistakes or not? Uh, are, are you just plain confident that, that he is a guy that the Bengals can rely on going forward in the offense?
1: Yes, I am. And that's that's part on Ross getting his head right. It's part on Laser, you know, making things a little bit easier for him. That's part on Dahl, maybe putting in some extra work after practice to just, to just get him just more acclimated with everything. And if you have to go the extra mile he's worth it because that's just how talented he is. And it's about time that we start remembering that when he was drafted, remembering the kind of player that he was at Washington, because this guy, it he's talented enough. And that like, again,
0: these mistakes, if
1: they happen, they happen, but you just got to kind of live with it and realize what the bigger picture is.
0: Totally agree. And I think his ceiling is Deshaun Jackson plus. I mean, I, I, think, I think he is, uh, I think he's got a lot of talent. And uh, it hasn't been totally tapped yet by the Bengals. And I think that, uh, you know, it, I think fans are doing Ross a disservice and, and potentially the Bengals a disservice by saying, oh, he's a bust. But it's so far, it, it's just not, it's not a fair thing. There are frustrations there. There are issues there, but it's, I think it's way too early for that. And uh, I think, I think you and I agree, John. Uh, let's get out of here with a couple of final thoughts with the Bengals against the Atlanta Falcons. And then uh, a score prediction, John, Um, both teams are very, as I mentioned with Gina, when she was on the show, um, both teams are very banged up. Both teams uh, now it seems thankfully for the Bengals, most of their injuries are more uh, guys that are coming back, but I mean, it's been a rough couple of weeks for the Bengals after a healthy week one. But They may be able to take advantage of a very, very banged up Falcons team, a very, very banged up Falcons defense. Um, This, this team, this Falcons team has been a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde. They are one and two, uh, which is a little surprising for this team, but um, you know, the Bengals are on the road for the second week in in a row and. It's not going to be an easy game. It's not going to be an easy game, in my opinion. You Just a couple of – give me, a, give me a, a couple of keys, a couple of additional thoughts and your score prediction for this game before we get out of here, John.
1: I will be less upset if the Bengals lose on the road to an offense that's capable of exploding on anybody like the Falcons. I will be less upset if they lose than if they allow Julia Jones the end zone because I won't be able to take the memes primarily just because of of the narrative that Julio Jones is allergic to the end zone. Um, But yeah, it's, it's not the, it's not the same sentiments that I got from the Panthers game. I, you know, I had just different fears about that. It's just that like, I'm not quote unquote, I am scared of the the Falcons offense because of what they can be. I'm just not scared at all about Sarkeesian and what he can do. Um, But at the same time, you know, the Falcons can easily put up 28 to 34 points on the Bengals defense, and I wouldn't blink an eye about that. Um I don't know. This the, 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 the seems like it'll be closer in terms of score than what the Panthers was or just in terms of what the game was. And I, I know the spread's, like, I think, plus five for the Bengals. And I, I, I don't know. It, 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 would just, it, it would feel weird if I were to predict a win just because of everything that's going on and just because of it being on the road. And plus another thing now I have to re rewire my brain and just think that, okay, it's the uncommon games that Dalton isn't going to be too hot in because that narrative completely flipped under bill laser. So now I just have to assume that, you know, an uncommon game with with still some injury concerns against the team that I'm not sure they're going to be able to outscore. I'm going to say like, I don't know, like seven uh, Atlanta, what what was it? Thirty to twenty seven, Atlanta.
0: Atlanta. Okay, um, would not surprise me at all if that's tr- If that comes to fruition, would not surprise me at all if Atlanta wins the game at home in the dome. Th- there are just, I-, I think, the safety depletion uh, among the Falcons is a big, big thing. I think the loss of Deion Jones is a huge loss. For, for Atlanta, I think Andy Levitre is a huge loss for Atlanta. I also think that despite Matt, Matt Ryan's arm, the talented weapons he has around him, no Devontae Freeman potentially, I think that's a big that's a big thing. But I think he is the, the style of quarterback they are able to get after. They are able yep. to sack and I think that, that, that that's that's something that, yes, Atlanta will put up points. Yes, they will put up yards. But I think that you look at week one, luck is relatively mobile, and he showed it. But he's still kind of a, a, more of a traditional pocket passer. Flacco, absolute pocket passer. They face mm-hmm. the scrambling guy and a guy who runs the RPOs, the, the run pass options, and, and, and option plays, pitch outs, all that kind of stuff. And Cam Newton, they struggle. I think Ryan is – he's hes in the mold of a Flacco. He's probably—he's better, but he's in the mold of a Flacco in terms of a traditional pocket passer and a guy that the Bengals' defensive line usually feasts upon. Um, I think – and I said this last week, John – I think if the Bengals can get out of this first month without Vontez Perfect, suffering some of these injuries – And given what they did in 2016 and 2017, if they can get out of this month of three and one, good, good things are ahead. And that's a, that's, that's a very good, um, you you gotta be stoked on that. Um, I think they do it. I would not be surprised if they do not, but I think they do it. Probably close, probably a shootout. And, and this is, this is, Again, going on my past assumption that I said earlier on the show that green plays, Mixon, and Price probably do not. I don't know that for a fact. We'll have to see later in the week. And how those are Some of those will probably be game time decisions. But I'm looking at injuries on both teams and where they're at, guys who could be coming back to both teams. I'm looking at kind of a, a different matchup issue or scheme issue that the Bengals face in terms of especially on defense – I don't know. I I, I kind of like I like this week more than I like last week. I just I feel like the mm-hmm. Bengals kind of have a better chance this week to win than they did last week for a variety of reasons. And I'll probably say the same score you did. What was it? 30 31 27 34 27? I said 30, but 31 actually does sound a little better. Yeah, I'll go I'll I'll I'll, I'll price right you. I'll go I'll go one up and I'll say 30 31 27 Bengals though because I just I don't know. I think they've got enough to to get past this week and then all of a sudden you get perfect back, maybe some of these guys from injury back, and then you're kind of firing on all cylinders again. I hope that that's the case because I think, yeah, two and two is okay in the first month, especially for a team that hasn't done well the past couple of weeks. But I think three and one is a big difference from two and two, especially with, with this first month yep. of the schedule. So uh, any, any final thoughts before we say adios senior Sheeran?
1: Yeah. Uh, good teams win. Great team's cover. I do expect the Bengals to do that. Also, if Gio Bernard does get the start again, Saints are really suspect against covering running backs out of the backfield in the past game. I would expect at least six or seven catches for Gio be able to do a lot of damage after the catch there. I think he's going to have another good game, so start him on your fantasy. On your team, also picked up Austin Hooper off the waiver wire. The Falcons' tight end. It's just my tradition to go go with the opposing tight end against the Bengals. But yeah, it should be a, it should be a fun game regardless. You know, I like Atlanta; they're one of my favorite teams to watch in the NFC, just because we share similar um, bad luck in in, in a clutch moments, I guess. So well, it, it, it'll it'll be fun to watch. And I, it'll be it's a better matchup, I guess, in terms of the overall scheme of things for the Bengals to come out yeah. on top.
0: And Kevin Evans in the live YouTube chat. Good, uh, good follower and listener of our program. Uh, Good to, good to hear from you, Kevin. Um, He said, uh, no, this is kind of a, (laughs) it seems like an estimation of a stat, but I'm sure he's pretty well on the right track here. Food for thought. Atlanta hasn't fared well against AFC opponents at home over the past two years. Um, I think one in nine or something like that. Uh, I, you know, I haven't done the research. I love when people do the research for us and uh, you know, I'm going to rely on you, Kevin. I'm going to say that that's, it's pretty good research, so we'll see what happens. And uh, regardless, it should be an entertaining game. I I thought even though the Bengals lost against Carolina, I thought that was an entertaining game in general. I just thought that that was you know there's a lot of scoring, a lot of big plays. Yeah, it didn't fall the Bengals' way, but uh, they were kind of in it towards the end. And I think that's going to be the story of this year's team, regardless of the record, regardless of the outcome of, of particular games. I think they're going to be there, like they're going to be in it, and I think they're going to be very competitive, which is far more positive than what we could say in the past couple of years and now whether that translates to a playoff berth playoff win i don't know we'll see hopefully but uh this is a much more fun team to watch regardless even even with the the loss this week much more fun team to watch than it was a year or so ago uh you could get this show on soundcloud itunes youtube art 19 the google play app and stitcher We're also on cincyjungle.com and part of the SB nation podcast network. So, uh, very proud of that and very excited about that. There might be some more announcements, big announcements ahead about our program and the Cincy jungle podcast in terms of uh, it being part of the SB nation network. So check out that subscribe to our channels. If you can, we appreciate all of the support. We appreciate all of the calls, texts, and everything that came in, uh, tonight and for the live viewers uh our big thanks to gina thomas from sb nation and the falcoholic which by the way that i didn't even talk about that that's a freaking fantastic name for it's a blog a great, it, it's a top fiver <laughs> <one, but laughs> that's i mean not not that i hate cincy jungle or anything like that, that's a good one but the falcoholic that's just like oh that that's a great one um she, she brought a lot of, a lot of great uh, knowledge and, and inside info, so um, we're, we were stoked to have her, and uh, we appreciate her coming on the program, and we appreciate you listening. Again, for John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Kazenza. This has been the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals Podcast. Enjoy week four. Enjoy the rest of your week and Hootay. Hello.